Orchestrating Successful Feedback Sessions. Welcome to this mini-podcast on orchestrating effective feedback. This podcast is based upon an annual talk which is given to the residents in the UC Davis Internal Medicine Residency Medical Educator Track. I'm Paul Aronowitz, Clinical Sciences Professor of Medicine at UC Davis School of Medicine and Clerkship Director of Internal Medicine. I've been a clinician educator for over 25 years, and if that sounds like a long time, it sure is. I'm very old and wise, or at least old. My clinical practice is focused on hospital-based medicine. Today, I'm fortunate enough to be here with Dr. Donna Williams. Uh, She's with me in our podcasting studio here at UC Davis Medical Center, and she will be my co-discussant. Donna, can you give our podcast audience your background? Sure, Paul. I am the Associate Program Director of the IM Residency here at UC Davis and Assistant Clinical Professor of Medicine. I'm not nearly as old or as wise as you, Paul. Uh, My clinical practice is in both the inpatient and outpatient settings. And don't you have a couple of kids, Donna? That's right, Paul. And what are their names? Paul, I don't think we have time to go over all 93 residents in this program. Oh, very funny, Donna. Okay. So, well, starting out today's discussion and starting fairly broadly, what the heck is feedback anyway? As far as I know, it's a term that came from the aerospace industry. In that context, it's information that a system uses to make adjustments in reaching a goal. What about in the context of what we do, medical education? One of the earlier definitions was outlined by Jack Endy and JAMA back in the early 80s as feedback being information describing students' or house officers' performance in a given activity that is intended to guide their future performance in that same or related activity. Oh, interesting. So maybe it's not that different than the way it's used in the aerospace industry, right? As in, if we think of all of us being on this rocket-like trajectory towards a faraway goal, we need every bit of feedback to stay on course and not stray off course. I mean, for example, if our goal was to get to the moon and we didn't get the right feedback, we could end up on Mars or Saturn or maybe just floating out in space in perpetuity. Sure, Paul, whatever works for you. Your mind works in mysterious ways sometimes. Oh, thanks, Donna. I'll take that as a compliment. Um, So why is it so difficult for people to give feedback? I think there are several factors at play creating obstacles to the giving and receiving of successful feedback. The first is that there's little or no training in how to give it at most places. But we're fixing that right now, right, Donna, with this podcast? Exactly. I think there's sometimes a lack of faith in the utility of feedback. For some people, there's this lingering doubt about whether it really makes any difference at all in changing or improving learners. And so why would you give feedback if you didn't think it was going to matter? There's also a fear of damaging relationships with learners, that if you give them a piece of constructive feedback, they'll take it personally and it will really damage a working relationship that you have with them. And along these lines, there's a fear of destroying or badly damaging learner self-esteem. Our learners are all human beings who sometimes have very fragile egos, especially when they're novices in the field of medicine. And we worry that we'll say something to them that hurts more than it helps. There's also always the challenge of giving good, digestible, corrective feedback that the learner finds relevant and helpful. This is the art part of giving feedback. It can take years to get good at this. I'm still working on this one. Along these lines, very few of us ever get feedback about how we give feedback. Most of us don't know whether the feedback we're giving is done well and whether that feedback makes any difference. 
Finally, one of my favorites is that it can be very challenging to find the right time and place to give feedback. We're all busy clinicians and teachers with competing responsibilities, and when we're super busy, feedback seems to sometimes fall to the absolute bottom of the list, just after doing laundry or going to the dentist to get a cavity filled. Paul, which of these causes the most difficulty for you? Well, I think getting a cavity filled for sure, but short of that, I think finding the right time and place. Um, When I'm on service, I sometimes have seven to eight learners on my team, and I need to meet with all of them, and I struggle with finding a quiet place and enough time to accomplish this. Have you found any solutions to this? Well, now I try and start doing my feedback sessions, believe it or not, two or three days before I go off service so that I can meet with just two or three people per day instead of all eight on that last crazy day. Uh, whenever possible, I try and use the distant corner of the Piazza de Cafeteria outside here at lovely UC Davis Med Center so we can sort of soak up some of the sunshine and relax and reflect for a few moments. That's a great idea, Paul, but what do you do when it rains? Well, I mean, Donna, California, as you know, has been in a rather major drought, so it hasn't been a really big problem of late, although this winter rains did show up the last couple weeks, so I don't know what I'm going to do during my current stint on the wards. So what is your general approach to feedback, Paul? How do you bring the learner into these sessions in a way that makes them benefit from the feedback? So I think that's really the $100,000 question, Donna, and it's something I feel like I'm slowly getting better at. You know, I used to start out most of my feedback sessions with the so-called feedback sandwich. Can you define feedback sandwich for our lovely podcasting audience? Sure, Donna. That's this fairly popular approach where the giver of feedback tells the learner something positive about his or her performance, followed by something constructive, followed by another positive bit of feedback to finish out the session. The constructive feedback is the meat Or if you happen to be a vegetarian, it might be the eggplant in the middle of the sandwich. And it's sandwiched by slices of bread, and those are the positives of that person's performance. A lot of teachers feel like beginning and ending with positives helps keep the feedback session on a positive note. There are also modified feedback sandwiches. For example, there's the so-called open-faced feedback sandwich, where you skip the initial positive feedback, dive straight into the constructive, and end with something positive. Some people have also modified the feedback sandwich further so that, you know, it's the regular two-slice sandwich, um, except that the first slice of bread is positive feedback, the meat, again, is the constructive central part, and the second slice is next steps, how the learner is going to incorporate the constructive feedback and improve their performance. What are the advantages of the so-called feedback sandwich? Well, I think that this approach creates a fairly safe environment for the learner. It reassures her that uh, she's succeeding at something and keeps the session on a positive note. Any disadvantages to the feedback sandwich? Well, I think that a lot of experts in medical education fear that learners may lock onto the positives and miss out on the constructive aspects, the meat of the sandwich. This can be especially problematic with learners with limited insight into their deficits. They may hear that initial slice of bread as a summary of how well they're doing and sort of ignore the rest. The entire goal of the feedback is then subverted. Hmm. Is this why you said you've gotten away from using the feedback sandwich? Um, it's partly for that reason. Uh, I still like the feedback sandwich for some situations, but I think the delivery is very lopsided. In other words, the learner walks in, sits down, and then I deliver the sandwich in this hierarchical fashion. 
The learner says, thank you very much, gets up and leaves. Frequently, I have little or no sense of what insights the learner has into her own performance. Does she agree with the feedback I've given? What else am I missing that the learner should be working on? Are we a million miles away, or are we very much on the same page? So how do you address this? Well, the bottom line is that whenever possible, I try to make feedback sessions a two-way conversation. I try and engage the person to whom I'm trying to give feedback. The first words out of my mouth as we sit down or as we find a quiet place standing up if we need to is, okay, what are you doing well and what are you working on? Usually, this immediately engages the learner in his or her own progression. This approach allows me to gauge the level of insight a learner has into her strengths and deficits. It is not unusual for my learners to name all the things I would have listed as strengths and areas to improve, plus several more areas to improve I wasn't planning on bringing up or maybe even hadn't noticed or was even aware of. These situations are not only music to my educator heart, but they also make these sessions way less difficult. If a learner names all the things I would have named and more, the next step is simply to agree or sometimes disagree. You know, if I think that they are being too hard on themselves and they're doing something better than they think they are. And then to help the learner come up with a plan for how to internalize and act on their own constructive feedback. In my experience, this conversational approach is far more constructive, it's less hierarchical, it's more engaging, and I think it's really um, ultimately more learner-centered, Donna. Are there any potential downsides to using a conversational, learner-centered approach like this? Well, I think that there's still sometimes a risk of the learner losing sight of the things he or she needs to work on in a jumble of positives that he has put out there. Uh, It may be less blunt than simply going for the open-faced feedback sandwich where the constructive feedback is very direct and not deliverable in the context of positives. However, the conversational approach is still a valuable way to figure out whether uh, underperforming learners have insight into what they need to be working on. But sometimes... I, as the feedback giver, must be very blunt, and by very blunt I mean blunt, to truly get their attention. I might say something like, this is what you need to do in order to pass this course. If you do not do this, you will fail. Now let's talk about how you will be doing this going forward. I like that. Can you repeat your opening line again, please, Paul? Sure, Donna. Uh, What are you doing well, and what are you working on? Got it. Thanks, Paul. So now that we've addressed the challenges of feedback and two different approaches for uh, giving feedback, Donna, can you give us some of your top tips for giving effective feedback? To be honest, Paul, I'm still working on this whole feedback thing. I think it's still a challenge, but I can come up with a few things that might be helpful. Go ahead. I am all ears. My first tip would be to create the right environment. It's kind of hard to articulate this, but the teacher has to stay focused on normalizing the fact that we all need feedback to get better. Feedback isn't about telling people what they're doing wrong, but really about telling them what they should do to do their job better and get to their goals. This helps make the feedback environment safe for the learner. It's also important to encourage two-way feedback. If you, the teacher, are open to receiving feedback, the learner will also be more likely to be open about receiving it. I like that tip. It's sort of like, make it safe, make it normal, I guess you could call it. Yeah, exactly. The next tip I'd have is to make sure you let the learner know what your goals are for giving them feedback. If it's to make him or her into a better oral presenter, then say so. If it's to get the learner able to generate a more organized problem list, then say so. You have to make the objectives clear. What other tips do you have? 
Hopefully this isn't going to sound earth-shattering, but whenever possible, feedback should be based on direct observation. It's fairly clear that learners listen to and internalize feedback that's based upon what the teacher sees them do rather than what the teacher thinks that they're doing. They're much more likely to discount feedback that they don't believe comes from direct observation. Wow, that makes total sense to me, um, especially when I stop and think about some of my experiences at the bedside watching both residents and students interact with patients. They really seem to sit up and take notice when I give them a feedback about something I directly witnessed while they were at the bedside interacting with a patient. Exactly. My next tip is to be specific. Generalities are just not that helpful to learners. Um, so Donna, that's kind of a general tip. Can you be more specific? You're catching on, Paul. <laughs> For example, telling someone that their oral presentations aren't very good and need work, too general. But if you tell them that they're mixing objective data while presenting the subjective portions of the SOAP presentation and then give them concrete examples of how they're doing it, that is much more specific. The more specific, the better. Another example is if you told them they don't look professional during bedside presentations, is too general. But if you tell them they shouldn't lean against the wall next to the patient bed or that they should make more eye contact with the patient and team members during their bedside presentations in order to project more professionalism, that's very specific advice. But I don't want to do all the talking here, Paul. Can you give me some other tips for giving effective feedback? I like listening to you do all the talking, Donna, but sure. Um, a tip I'd put out there is to give timely feedback. The closer to the event that prompted the feedback, the better the feedback is received and the more likely it is to be internalized. Um, for example, it's much better to give a student feedback. Um, I'll have to give my residents feedback about not paging me during a podcast. Uh, for example, it's much better to give a student feedback the same day as an organized oral presentation than waiting two or three days or even until the end of the rotation. I sometimes have them represent the patient to me in the afternoon and I give them the feedback. Then I have them present again based upon the feedback and give them even more feedback. I tend to see the most rapid improvements when I do it this way, and it's uh, kind of more time-intensive up front, but it pays huge dividends when they show up for rounds the next day, presenting dramatically better than they had been the day before. What about the amount of feedback that you give, Paul? I've often heard the word digestible regarding feedback, and so their insights into what they're doing well and what they need to work on. This is more efficient, more learner-centered, and probably more effective than the feedback sandwich approach. Anything else, Doc? When possible, give feedback based upon directly observed aspects of performance. Give timely feedback and give it in digestible chunks that don't overwhelm the learner. Finally, create a safe and feedback-friendly environment. Make sure you convey to the learner that you, too, are a work in progress and would like some feedback. Finally, whenever possible, find a quiet, warm, dry place out of the earshot of others where you can both feel safe and give specific directed feedback. So what's your feedback for me about this idea for our first medical educator podcast, Donna? I'm just kind of curious about that. Well, I don't know, Paul. How do you think you're doing and what are you working on? Hey, I know what you're up to, Donna. Uh, well, I'm glad you asked, though. I think this podcast will not only be useful for medical educator track residents giving feedback to their interns and students, but also for residents and interns as well as for our faculty. 
In terms of what we could be doing better, and that's you and I, Donna, uh, at this podcast, I think this could have been a little bit shorter in order to increase the likelihood that listeners would stay tuned in for the whole thing, and hopefully we didn't lose too many of them. Hmm, I agree. Anything else? Yes, I think we're pretty funny, but probably not nearly as funny as we think we are. (laughs) So I agree with everything you've said. I think this is a fantastic idea and that it will help far more educators than just the medical educator track residents. I also agree it's a tad long and that we should work on shortening these up going forward. Perhaps our action there could be to have Dr. Mark Henderson look over our comments in advance. Rumor has it that he started editing things with a red pen when he was barely two months old and not even able to talk yet. Oh, and I also agree that we're not as funny as we think we are. But nobody's perfect, I suppose. I think that's a great action item uh, for having Dr. Henderson both look over our thoughts uh, as well as possibly edit our podcast for us. It would save us a lot of time and work. Um, (laughs) Thanks for producing this podcast with me, Donna. It's been really fun. And by the way, uh, as we finish out this podcast, I'd love to know what your favorite band is. Band? As in music. What kind of music do you like to listen to? Ah, well... Hmm. Thanks, Paul. This was really fun. My favorite band is... I'll have to go with the band Train. Thanks, Donna. Anytime. Anytime.